Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 436. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hello, Noah. we got a big show coming up finally on the Linux Action Show. We've been working on it for a while. It is our review of Open Media Vault. We're going to specifically look at version 3 and see what it offers and see as the product overall, 2 and 3, how do they stack up against FreeNAS? What extra things do you get besides it being based on Linux that you don't necessarily get on FreeNAS. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, in the news segment, we've got a brand new shiny version of GNOME, and it's a bigger deal than you might realize because of the stuff going on behind the scenes. We'll talk about that. Plus, Lenovo made fools of themselves this week. You may have heard about all of the controversy, but do you know the root reason behind all of it and who the pitchforks should actually be pointed at? We'll discuss that. And then in the feedback segment, we got your emails. But before all of that, Noah, you know what we got? We got the picks. You got it. We got the picks. And uh, I, I am... Uh, yeah, I got I, I wanted to make sure we had a, a themed matched episode this week. So That's the good. pick, the desktop pick has a, has a theme to it, and the spotlight has a theme to it as well. The runs Linux though, <laughs> totally no theme. Nope, totally uh, totally threw out the theme, but I just I couldn't help but Hold include on. this does one. It follow the theme of something that runs Linux. It does indeed, sir. Oh, so we'll get there. In fact, if you haven't heard about the Moto mod, uh, we'll tell you more about it in a moment, but it's a new concept that uh, Motorola has been working on for a while, since even before the Lenovo purchase, where you have a phone that's a base, like, intelligence. It's a base Android, and then you can stack stuff on it using their connector. And uh, there is yeah, a pretty... Yeah, modular phone. Yeah, and this is, but one that, this is one that can actually bring to market using the Moto X, and this tells you a little bit about it, and you'll see where the Linux comes in. As uh, one of my favorites, a Raspberry Pi hat adapter, this board lets you take hi-hats that exist, there's hundreds in the market already, um, and just write some firmware for them. We currently have four personality cards, an audio personality card, uh, battery and charging is very common, display, that's one of our more complex ones, and our raw sensor interface. From a hardware standpoint, you'll need a Moto Z, that is a requirement. You'll need a USB Type-C cable and a computer running Linux. That is the yeah. start. Really it. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? You got to run Linux in order to use these things. So these stacks are, I'm going to be honest with you, no, they've really got my attention. Now, there's not a lot that is super compelling at the moment, mm -hmm. but the idea that you could put a Raspberry Pi hat, so there's they have, a, they have a module you snap on there, and then a Raspberry Pi hat board, I mean, whoo, now we are cooking with some serious gas. That opens up the door to a lot of things that some of us may already own or mm -hmm. tinker with. You will probably have to do your own custom firmware, but they have an actual pretty aggressive outreach, I would call it, to developers right now to get uh, some interest around this thing. So you got to have a Moto Z to do it. Let me, let me ask you something, just a totally side, side rant, but yeah. <clears throat> the kind of people that are interested in modularizing a phone and then buying modules and putting them together making a phone, aren't Aren't those the same kind of people that uh, dislike um, marketing terms like cloud and personality cards? Why, why can't we call it, a, you know, a Wi-Fi module and a, and I, a, and a WAN module? I don't a, know for sure. I think personality, personality might be a, a vernacular that's from the industry. That might be a personality card. I think I've heard, I've heard of modular accessory cards called that before in the past. So I don't know. I might give them a pass on that. I think you're right. I think it's like in the consumer space. 
It's mm-hmm. folks like you and I and the good people watching the show or listening. But I think the industrial space, it's, it could be potentially huge. Any, oh, sure. I'll give you a, a possibility. I mean, we're talking this is you got to start somewhere and you got to start sometime. But if you go a decade down the road, it may be damn near any workload that ever required a custom built PC might yep. require a custom-built phone, and you've sure. got to be able to do that somehow. Industries, you know, manufacturing and, and all these kinds of really esoteric machineries that they have to run or sensor requirements they might have to have or monitoring mm-hmm. capabilities, Android will serve as a base platform for them to develop because Android Studio is part of how you do this, so that's the base platform for creating the applications. Sure. And then you just need a nice, reliable, modular, maybe widely accepted platform standard to do this with. And it maybe only, you know, sells 1% or 2% in the consumer space ever. But probably that's – if you look at uh, if you look at high-end, like, rack-mountable hardware mm-hmm. and uh, server motherboards from, like and, – and cases from, like, Supermicro, they probably sell sure. a very, very small percentage to the regular consumer base and probably sell mm-hmm. way more revenue-wise to, to business, I would think. Might yeah, be something that makes similar. sense. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. It just – I uh, when I first heard that, I was like, man – there we go again with the marketing terms. We can't just call things what they are. We have to come up with this. Yeah, you know, I, I like, I, I feels it feels like it's not very. It feels like it's the only. Here's how I would like it. I would like it. So one of the modules they have is like a JBL speaker add-on. You snap it on, and the whole back's a speaker. Mm-hmm. If it was possible to get like a Lytro type camera or something really crazy optics-wise with a snap-on, mm-hmm. that might compel me a little bit. If I could have a phone that's a phone with an extra battery snap for the most of the time. And oh br- my God. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Because then, the thing is like everyone wants thinner and smaller phones. Yeah. I don't. I want a two-inch phone, but I want the battery to last a week like my old Motorola. And that's one of the things they've already got. Oh. They've already got that. Yeah. So you could do that. that they got that in the speaker already. Oh, and they also have a projector. It's all in the video that we have linked in the show notes. So they have a micro projector snap that goes on the back of the phone, and then the media, so like you use Plex or Kodi or VLC on the Android device, and it displays out the projector that you snapped on. It, as long as it's a perfectly dark room and you can find a service that's within it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In their video, it's like the most impossible scenario where the wife is just holding it or the mother's holding it in her hand the entire time and they have a sheet in a tent. I mean, it's it's not a real scenario, but the possibilities are interesting and it feels like somebody has to experiment with it. And mm-hmm. Motorola's, the, 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 you know, it's got some really bright people working on their team. So yeah, that's kind of sure. cool. And the fact that it requires Linux is, well, it's a check in my box. I yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. If you want to run some Linux, check out our first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the easiest and most intuitive way to spin up a Linux rig on their super great infrastructure. All SSD for the I.O., 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisors, great data centers all over the world, New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. I'm probably even leaving some off the list now, but what's really great about DigitalOcean is that UI, that interface. They have... One of the nicest interfaces for managing virtual machines, bar none, desktop or web application. And if you use our promo code, here's the thing, all one word, like you're slurring it, put it together, you get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean has rig at rig starting at $5 a month. Get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And you can step it up from there, or you can use their hourly pricing. And then our promo code is really going to get you some distance because you'll get $10. Just use the promo code. Here's the thing and go check them out. They have entire application stacks ready to go, or you can deploy a base system of Linux or even FreeBSD. 
They have block storage that you can attach. It's all SSD-backed. They have an API that people have adopted in tons of open source applications. And the pricing is easy, and it makes sense. There's not going to be any surprises. So if you're a server expert or a beginner, they've got something that's going to work for you. DigitalOcean.com. The secret sauce behind many open source applications that you know and love, too. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. And by the way, quick plug for their uh, documentation. <clears throat> Super good, really clean. They have uh, pro editors. And they've just posted on the 23rd how to create an intranet with OpenVPN on Ubuntu 16.04. Obviously, this is made easier by using DigitalOcean, but there's probably nothing in here that's uniquely specific to DigitalOcean. So if you've been thinking about them, want to check them out, this might be worth your time. Just go in there, too. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. All right, Noah. I, um, I generally try to spend some time with each desktop app pick if I'm the one that picked it. Sometimes uh, you surprise me, like, and, and a lot of times when you do surprise me, I end up installing them, and I still have them loaded on this machine right here, um, especially yesterday when I was doing my updates, and I'm watching, oh, yeah, I remember when Noah told me about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Um, so this week, I'm going to recommend something that I'm about to experiment with. I haven't experimented with it yet, but I have gotten a lot of encouraging remarks from people that I really trust in our community about storage. So I feel really good about it, and it's pretty unique, and of course it fits in with the entire NAS theme of this episode, and it's called Greyhole. And we're going to tell you more about it in the review specifically. But Greyhole is an application that uses Samba to create storage pools of all of your different various hard drives and allows you to create redundant copies of the files you store in there. So essentially, if one of those drives fails, you have a copy somewhere else. Uh, and you can use as many hard drives as you like to be included in the pool. Your storage pool will be the sum of the free space in all of the hard drives you include. I think that's a really big deal because a really common question we get is, hey guys, can I do a system with a one terabyte drive, a four terabyte drive, an eight terabyte? Like I got this mismatch of all these mm -hmm. drives. This helps hey, you specifically address this. Yeah. <clears throat> You can include hard drives of any size in the pool. It has per share redundancy, so each of your shares uses the space of the storage pool to indicate how many copies you want. So if you have stuff that's more important and you want to have multiple copies for one share, it's really slick. Now, it's not perfect for everything. If you have a bunch of uh, frequently changing files, it's not a replacement for RAID 1. Don't, it's not like you don't edit, like if you have a, if you have a bunch of like documents that you edit from a share and you're changing them directly out of the share when you're in the editor, and then saving them back to the share, not good for that. But if you've got a huge library of media files, if you mm -hmm. store ISO images, if you store lots of stuff that you want to archive for a very long time, like, like this guy, he, he, even though he hates Skype, he, he stores debs of Skype downloads. So that way he just, instead of going to Skype.com and downloading the latest deb, now he just he goes to the storage and pulls off the Skype deb. You store everything. YouTube videos that you watch I store online. the things that I don't trust Microsoft to make available to me when or, I might need them. Or Google. Or Google. Or Google. Yeah, because like some people, they go to YouTube.com to watch YouTube. Not Noah. He's probably like some of you out there. He just YouTube DLs everything and watches it <laughs> offline. And so, I do. Offline media, my last line yeah, no. in the sand. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually more and more with you all the time. This Greyhole software is pretty nice, and I plan to go into how it works technically in the review coming up. So if you're curious how they pull all of this off, uh, I did some digging. 
and uh, I'll explain it in the in the review coming up. That, however, this is a great opportunity to just take a whole bunch of drives that you might have laying around and get a whole total storage space while still having redundant copies in case there is a single failure. So it's called Grayhole at grayhole.net, and of course we have a link in the show notes. So what do you think of that? That's kind of neat, right? That is, that's that is really cool. I wanna. I think I want to do uh, a full deep dive in a separate episode where we just review that. I am going to talk about it a little bit in context with our open media revolt because it, it is applicable to the review. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of want to also dedicate an entire episode on it. And also, be sure to check out in the show notes what Gray Hole is not good for. There is a there is a notable list. Um, it's nothing that I didn't really just kind of quickly summarize, but it's probably worth checking out. And I also have that linked in the show notes if you guys are curious about that. So now, uh, in our spotlight section, I want to talk about uh, some opportunities that are coming up very soon for you to learn more in person about storage and about networking and all of the topics that we're going to cover today. So probably the first one coming up is the Open Daylight Summit this next Tuesday, September 27th, 2016, as we record this. I will be there with Wes from Linux Unplugged on Tuesday, and we will be uh, walking around and talking and doing interviews and trying to wrap my head around what is going on with software-defined networking, what is Linux's role, how far along is this beast. I have a, I have a strong sense that there's like this just barely exposed subculture going on in Linux right now where a lot of super amazing things are happening in software-defined networking. But I don't really have good insights on what those are. So on Tuesday, I'm going down there. I'm going to try to wrap my head around this. I've already got like six or seven interviews lined up with the folks that I'm going to talk to that are really experts on this stuff. So I'm going to learn from them and then come back and probably talk about it on a future episode of Linux Unplugged. Now, while we're talking about Linux Unplugged, since Wes and I are going to be out next Tuesday, which is when we normally record Linux Unplugged, we're going to try something a little different. And there's, there has been a fantasy that I think every Linux user has thought about when they first switched to Linux or when they're trying something out. And it's, damn it, I wish there was just a number I could call up and ask somebody my Linux question and get it answered. In fact, we've even fantasized about like somehow connecting a mumble room with a, with a phone bank where people could call in and I, get, I actually had the, the the rudimentary part of that set up because I thought I was going to need it for the switch to Linux competition back in April. Ah, then as it turns out, we didn't end up that it, it, yeah. the, the 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 culture yeah. as we got into it, it yeah. we just I threw it aside. But so we have since, the start of that. Since we're going to be out this Tuesday, uh, Noah's going to step in to cover Linux Unplugged, and he's going to help. He's going to run a segment, or basically the show is Ask Noah. He's going to open up a phone line where you can mm-hmm. call in and ask your Linux questions live on the air, and Noah's going to be there. And if all goes is planned. We're also we'll also have the mumble room there, our virtual lug, full of experts on many different topics. And so, th- if Noah can't answer it, there's a damn good chance one of them will be able to answer it or help do further research or something. So I, it could be it could end up being a hell of a resource for people if you have time to act. Of course, it'll be streamed live. Go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar for that. And Noah, do you have a number ready for people to call in and leave a voicemail? Yeah. Or we, I, I, the the voicemail is not active okay. yet. Let me. I can give you the number though, and it'll yeah. be. I, I tell you what, <clears throat> it'll be by, by the, the time, time this episode exactly by the time the episode posted, it'll be all ready yeah. to go. We're going to give heavy preference to the people that are calling in live, and I already have started a stack of people that have some questions. Everybody that's been getting in contact with me over the last week that said I have these questions, I've been telling them, hey, keep it until Tuesday. Call yeah. in, ask the questions there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I'll, I'll have that number for you. We'll get it. In so the, the, the concept being, if you if if you can't make it live, we will have a voicemail line you could call and leave a question there and try to keep it under two minutes or three minutes, mm-hmm. absolute max. And I know that sounds short, but when you're on air you, and you hear it back, you would be shocked at how long a three minute voicemail. So 
the shorter the voicemail, the more succinct it is, the more likely it'll get played on the show. And mm-hmm. of course, if you call in live, there's going to be preference to that because the idea behind the show really is, is we get we get a ton of questions that come in all the time. And almost every single time we don't put the the bulk of them into the show because they require a back and forth. They require that we ask a couple follow-up questions, get some clarifications. And so that's where the concept of a phone call came in. And and, and so the phone number is 1-877-347-0011. One 1-877-347-0011. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Oh, there you go. And so you can call in on Tuesday during Linux Unplugged and, of course, watch it at jblive.tv. It'll be on the calendar I I kind of love the idea if we could use some of our production capabilities and calling cap- infrastructure that Noah's built over the years and all of that to provide help to the Linux community, that'd be a pretty solid contribution that we'd be pretty excited about getting behind. So show up on Tuesday and to get involved. And if you've had some questions, that might be a great way to get them answered. Ask Noah on this week's episode of Linux Unplugged while uh, Wes and I are out. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Okay, so that's now we got we got more events coming up. Uh, this is coming up on November 11th and the 12th, and I think I will also be at this. I'm trying to talk Noah into going, but we'll see. It's Seagull. It's November 11th and 12th, and I haven't gone in years past, but usually someone from JB has gone to just keep tabs mm-hmm. on it. And I think it's really gotten to the point now where it's it's grown into its own unique, strong conference here in Washington that is very heavily about Linux, but not just about Linux, uh, and, op- and some of other open source in general, and community. So it's Siegel, S-E-A-G-L, November 11th and 12th at Siegel.org. We have a link in the show notes. I plan to be there at least for one day. Maybe you can go out and get a beer. We'll say hi. We'll have a chat. It could be fun. Maybe Noah might make it. We will see. Time will tell. <laughs> Say that one more time. Maybe. Say that one more time. I'm gonna throw you under the bus. <laughs> what really? Why did I? Did we talk because about it? You never f- talked to me about it. Yes, we did. We <laughs> no, talked to we it. didn't. Uh, you yeah. never once messaged. Don't make me pull up the Telegram thread. All right. So now, listen. It's fine. It's good. It's cool because I bet you could make it to this one because it's being held remotely. It's the Ubuntu Online Summit, which is November 15th through the 16th, and can't quite see it because it's cut off on the screen there. But uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, November 15th through the 16th. We'll predominantly be talking about, you guessed it, Ubuntu 17.04. Because the new release should be out the door by then, I think. Uh, so, yeah, those are upcoming events, all which are linked in the show notes, uh, most of which will be I wonder if there's a sub on networking, specifically Wi-Fi. Maybe it'll work in 17.04. <laughs> I see where you're going there. It's like, what? that be exciting? What is his angle? I don't know quite what his angle is. I get it. I see. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, you know, have we plugged user error uh, on this sh- on this show? I mean, we must have. We have in the past, yeah. Uh, don't you remember there was that one episode that we got halfway through the new segment? I couldn't even concentrate on the rest of the episode. Yeah, yeah. I was so ready to do a user error. So we've been doing this new show, User Error. We just did five episodes. It's Noah, me, and the beard. And uh, just about in every episode now, we've been talking about Linux or on Rekai's new build that he's doing. And I really yes. liked our chat. You and I, I think you and I had our best, most refined argument to how to successfully switch to Linux ever. Both of us had really great yeah. ideas to make it stick. And I kind of wish we'd done that particular segment in this show because it's super beneficial to anybody trying to get somebody to switch to Linux who's mm-hmm. entrenched in another platform. Uh, User Air 5, we, it's, we talked about that amongst uh, many other things. Many, many other things. So yeah, go check that out at jupiterbroadcasting.com or air.show. What are you snickering about? Well, just it's just it's just it's funny how like user error really is 
the uh, like the, the pinnacle part of what defines the rest of the network turned into a show. If you listen to user error, specifically have we done it live and you were listening to it live, you would you would already not only know about the call-in show, but you would have watched it be born. Because yes. the idea, we'd never talked about it before, like not even That's one true. iota. Yeah. And then we talked about one thing at the beginning of the yeah. show. And then in a concentric circle fashion, yeah. we looped around to it and said, yeah. we got to solve this problem, this solve this yeah. problem. If we did all of this, we could knock all these things out yeah. with this one solution, and then yeah. boom, there's a show. You, we're you literally hear a show idea completely be conceived in yep. that episode, and we go yep. from this might be a good idea to we're doing it this day <laughs> yeah, exactly. in one episode. Plus, yeah. we talk about Linux on Rikai's new rig and why I ended Tech Talk today. All of those yep. things in in one show, mm -hmm. user error episode five, and I think is it under an hour? I can't remember how long. it is. Uh, Forty six. We did all that in forty six minutes. Yeah. Damn, that show was moving. <laughs> so you can check that out at air.show. And uh, also, do subscribe to the video or RSS feed if you've been enjoying it, because I'm going to be releasing exclusives, stuff that was cut, like when Noah had to run out in the middle of a show last week. Or uh, our, maybe I might put our entire – there was an, there was two entire segments that were just completely cut. I might put those in there, but uh, I'll be releasing them to the RSS feed which you can find over at uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting website or air.show. Some good Linux discussion in there if you want more. Boy, we just mentioned Linux Action Show, Linux Unplugged, and Air, or user error, and none of it was intentional to be pluggy-pluggy, but we sorry about that. Just We're really excited about some of the stuff we're doing right now, and we think you might enjoy it. So how about we stop talking about us, and let's do the news. The news in this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Everybody, once you go to last.ting.com, las.ting.com, get $25 off your first service month or your first device. Ting's on a mission to make mobile make sense. You just pay for what you use. You don't pre-buy a whole bunch of minutes or messages or megabytes. You just pay for your usage, and it's $6 for the line. They got GSM and CDMA networks to choose from, which means bringing a device is pretty good bet. Just check their BYOD page. They have great customer service where you get to talk to an actual human being, which is a unique opportunity and something that you kind of think, well, that can only scale so well, but somehow Ting manages to do it in a really nice way that feels like they actually genuinely care and they stick with you and really make sure that your problems are resolved. I've been, I've been like the very limited time I've had to use it, I've been really impressed. I, I generally just stick to their incredible dashboard and the app they, they offer on the phone, too. I like that they have the, the dual networks, so when I travel around, sometimes that's really nice to leverage that with the Nexus. And, of course, the account management tools from a small business angle or if you have multiple devices are, are, are just really nice. They also have great prices on devices that you can buy directly from Ting Unlocked, like the Ancitel A392, $63. No contract. No early termination fee. You own it. They got, of course, the internet phones going up for crazy great prices. They got a bunch of mid-level and high-level Android devices. Ooh, that Moto G4, 180 bucks. Nice. That, you know, I got to say, the 5C is also 180 bucks now. They've really, the prices have come down with the new release of the iPhone. And, of course, they got the Moto X, the Nexus, the OnePluses. Check them out. Go to last.ting.com and buckle up if you're in Centennial, Colorado. I'm now officially Jelly. That's the next stop for Ting Internet. Ting Internet's coming. Centennial, Colorado. And I know we got some listeners there, so. Oh, man, I'm so Jelly of you now. I cannot imagine the kind of prices and speeds you're going to get. So check it out. You can get more information if, that, if you're in that neck of the woods at Ting's blog. Just start by going to last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring. Oh, Linux Action Show, last.ting.com. So Lenovo really stepped in it this week. 
between a botched response to a support ticket where they said an agreement with Microsoft had to lock down their devices to um, upstream vendors not properly supporting Linux, we have ourselves what I officially call a full-fledged shit show. And uh, Lenovo has confirmed that Linux will not work on the Yoga 900 and 900S laptops. That's that one with that sort of... Um, I guess you call it the 360 hinge or something. I don't actually think it looks that good. But uh, this this has been confirmed by Lenovo that it will only run Windows 10. Here's what Lenovo had to say. And I think you and I, we should just read Lenovo's statement in full because it's, it's pretty precious. So uh, here it is. Lenovo says, <clears throat> as the world's number one PC company, we continue to focus on bringing value to the PC user and creating a unique and innovative form factors such as yoga. Our customer Windows PC are specifically designed for an extensively tested and designed and extensively tested on Windows 10. Yoga 900 and 900S, this is a key line here, with their 360-degree hinges are specifically designed to maximize the touch functionality of Windows 10. Our yoga design requires very specific, complex and unique drivers that require even greater amounts of testing to ensure class-leading performance with Windows 10. To support our yoga products and our industry-leading 360-degree hinge design in the best way possible, we have used a storage controller mode that is unfortunately not supported by Linux. So somehow, they say they claim to support their innovative 360-degree hinge design, they've configured their storage controller in a way that doesn't support Linux. Obviously, that's wrong, but we'll get to that. As a result, it does not allow Linux to be installed. Beyond the controller setup limitation, other advanced capabilities of the Yoga design would likely not work with current Linux offerings. Lenovo does not intentionally block customers using other operating systems, such as Linux, and is fully committed to providing Linux certifications and installation guidance on a wide range of suitable products, and they're listed here at this support page. So this, so first they come out and they said, well, our agreement with Microsoft, because it's a signature PC, has us lock it down. And that was like, what are you, are you talking about? Secure boot? What are you talking about there? And, and, and then Lenovo comes out with this official statement where they say, well, to support our innovative 360-degree hinge, we've configured our storage controller such that it's incompatible with Linux, and it's too fancy for Linux to support, which was really kind of an odd thing to say that it just sort of made people double down on the criticism. And then, then the problem really caught fire when people on Reddit and uh, on uh, other sites managed to hack the Lenovo Yoga 900 in such a way that they were able to enable ACHI mode in the BIOS. So essentially, what happened was, the, it turns out Lenovo ships the Yoga 900 with a RAID mode turned on that Intel has not released support for Linux. They have not written the drivers. And essentially what this RAID mode does is it just doesn't allow the drives to bind to the operating system. And instead, the driver manipulates and manages all of that. So the operating system is removed from the role of essentially managing the disk, and the Sounds Intel like driver does it. a terrible way to run a piece of hardware. Absolutely, but it's the only way Intel can ship this thing at the power usage level they want at the, and at also the temperature that they want. When you don't use this, supposedly, Things run hotter, things use way more battery power. So when they specifically designed it for leading industry battery performance, what they mean is they have to use this Intel driver that's only ever been developed for Windows to talk in RAID mode, which is probably also, it also improves performance from my understanding. Now, um, there has been some great takedowns of this entire situation. 
Uh, and I, I thought I'd I thought I'd help us understand that it's not really Lenovo or Microsoft, but the people we should be blaming. It sounds like from analysis is Intel. So the issue is is that the solid state drives in this Intel RST mode are just simply not available for Linux. And the real question is is why Lenovo didn't just allow users to just turn on AHCI mode themselves. Why didn't they just give users that option? That's sort of the like the Lenovo bad here. Um, and Matthew Garrett speculates that it's likely Intel's fault. Lenovo had to do this, he speculates, because they've probably been unable to meet the power management needs and the performance needs that Lenovo needs to hit to be competitive. And so if Lenovo allowed you to turn this mode on, uh, the device may actually not operate with the, with the appropriate temperature settings so? and performance would tank. So... I'm just, I, what I don't understand is I'm perfectly okay <clears throat> with companies basing their decision on on their on the revenue streams, right? They say ninety five percent of our customers run want to run Windows, and ninety five percent of our customers say they want better battery life and better performance. So we're going to make these changes to, to as when you pull it out of the box, it comes with Windows ten and has this kind of performance and this kind of battery life. That I all understand. I support them one hundred percent. Where they lose all of my support and then some probably is. Why would you stop someone from if, – if I'm smart enough to go into the unified extensible firmware interface or whatever they're calling BIOS nowadays and turn off yeah, a agree. given feature, turn on a given yeah. feature, then can't I assume liability for if the computer runs a little hotter or if I lose a little bit of battery life so, or if I lose a little bit of performance? Essentially, uh, echoing Matthew's interpretation, which I kind of agree with, is to Lenovo – it simply came down to the reality that they would get more support calls if they allowed you to do that because of the, the, the downsides of doing it. Then they have interest in people that actually want to do it. So, the, the, so here's the but, issue. Here's the fun, now, this is the fundamental issue, is when you have a company that, is, that doesn't start with Linux first, that Linux is something they consider for some of their safe computers, you have, you have decisions internally that are weighted in a way that eventually screws Linux users. So the weighting for Lenovo was simply a very simple math. Well, we believe we could get 3% of our users calling with support issues if we enable this, and we believe 1% of our users will ever want to bother with Linux they're obviously going to go with the 3% number, even if it's just a couple of percentages higher. I, it's a I really even, simple, that, cold calculus. Yeah, but that calculation doesn't even make sense. How can you have more calls coming in for a given problem than people that would be interested in creating that problem to begin with? Yeah, well, see, this that is... doesn't a, make any sense. That was the misunderstanding, and I think this is a problem that a lot of hardware vendors are going to be making for the next couple of years is... There's more pressure than ever, and, and the pitchforks come out faster. If people get a whiff of Microsoft or Lenovo or any kind of foul play yeah. intentionally blocking Forcing. Linux, yeah. it, is, it is a shitstorm online. Good, and it should be, because we have other vendors we can go to. I think vendors will start subtly feeling that pressure more and more than they ever have. And as long as we have vendors like System76 that are releasing machines that are... I mean, this is the... Their lineup right now is... Totally dynamite. And you have other vendors out there now that are cranking out great machines 
that are so fully supported with Linux, you have that pressure. So it's, they're getting gnawed at at all ends, directly from users, with the people, pitchforks online, and then how that gets covered in the tech press and the, and mm -hmm. the, the branding damage that occurs from but, that. Plus, then you have all these other vendors with competent solutions. But, you know, the thing is, though, it's, it's one step even further removed because it's one thing to say that System76 makes a computer that <clears throat> works right out of the box with Linux, all the buttons work, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got that middle ground, which is we designed it for Windows, but we don't really care what you do. And I think most users, myself included, are pretty tolerant up until that line. I don't really care if you make a computer that's specifically designed for Linux. It's not really what I'm going to get excited about, but I, you, you want to make something specifically designed for Windows as long as I can do something, that's fine. Once you cross over that really hard line in the sand, which is you intentionally take steps to block an operating system, I know diehard Windows users that get pissed about that kind of thing because they I don't like I wouldn't say the that they took intentional steps. If there was any, the only intention they did was we only, the only intention was we only have to think about Windows 10. This no, is a they, Windows they took, 10 product. They, they took they, here, What I'm saying is they took steps to intentionally remove choice from the user. Rather than and I would argue just changing a mode, you know, whatever. You're kind of banking on getting lucky. So you're, you've been cashing in. You, the checks you've been cashing have been getting written for a while by luck. There, there's been, Lenovo has had no strategic guarantee that future yogas, which kind of sucks because you and I have both purchased yogas in the past and ran yeah. Linux on them and own yogas running Linux. Yeah. So it's a bit of a bummer that this has happened because it was sort of the best buy go-to laptop that was of decent quality that you could pick up in 15 minutes yeah, I mean, if it was an emergency. I so mean, to it's, be a, it's too bad. And, and to be fair and to clarify, it's not like it was a completely painless experience either. They had a Broadcom card in there, and so it required mm -hmm. a little monkeying around to get yeah. that to work. Um, but yeah, it was. It was a pretty decent laptop. But the, the, the problem that Lenovo faces is when you take that choice, again, you get these people that are even Windows users, even people that have no intention of putting something on there mm -hmm. are mad just at that yeah. option. I know yeah. a guy that's going to be pissed about that just because of it. And the problem that they're they're going to come up against is you, we've got other manufacturers. we got HP, we've got Asus, we've got Acer, all of which yeah. I bought in products, and they, you can install Linux on them just fine. So I, I think, think they're eventually. I think what Lenovo made the mistake of not enabling uh, AHCI mode or whatever it's called. I, I I put that on them. There's no reason they couldn't have included that in the BIOS with just a. I, I, I have I have seen I have seen BIOSes before that will say this is not the recommended configuration. That's not an impossibility. I think though where the real blame must lie. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just include the Skylake bullshit that we've had to deal with recently. Yeah. Is I think the issues with Skylake that we've had have all been on laptops and and, and consumer devices. Hundred percent. And now this not not supporting this bullshit Intel RAID mode that's a total cop out and not writing drivers for Linux is again because Intel while they are great on the enterprise and they've been pretty solid in the past as far as the consumer driver space comes recently. F you, Intel. You've been screwing it up big time. And this is another example. You're leaving a whole new... Because, let's be honest, Lenovo's not going to be the only manufacturer that has to do this bullcrap of this is how you get the decent data rate speeds and, and performance and temperature. Yeah. They're all going to do this. It, you know, and here's the thing. It might be something... Maybe it just... Again, maybe it's just a, a specific thing to Lenovo. But I, I have worked on the machines... In fact... Three weeks ago, I was working at a at a at a um, well uh, at a uh, what do you call it hair salon place that had this POS system that was uh, that had that Intel RAID management thing in there. All and all I did was just disconnect one of the drives yeah. and install Linux on the on the remaining drive. And they don't have their RAID one, but yeah. it, I mean, I could use the physical hardware. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and if I and if I really wanted to, and for everyone that's going to write in and, and yell at me hate mail, I could plug the second drive back in, use LVM, and get a, basically the same thing where I have the drives being mirrored. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it, 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 we have ways of managing. You don't, as far as I know, you don't have to have the driver to write to the storage device unless, like you said, there's the, inside of the UEFI you have to s switch a setting. Uh, and then they take that setting away. Also, you got to give a shout out to uh, Bound Arrow. I think his name is. Uh, he was willing to rip his yoga apart and figure out how to get this to work. And he managed to get it working under Fedora with AHCI mode. And he's got pictures up on Imager, which I think really is inexcusable. If you've got, we've got documented proof that it was possible. You've got a whole chain of events. Lenovo not recognizing the fact that. They're building a hardware platform that's not just a Windows 10 device. Like, they're still not wrapping their head around that, and I, I, I understand why. Uh, and you have Intel, who is just giving the middle finger to Linux users in the consumer space now for a long time, despite the fact that it's growing as a platform for DevOps, for people that are creating web applications, and for people that work in the enterprise at a level it's never been at before. Not to mention all the scientific applications we constantly see for it. So there's... It's, it's it's just becoming negligent at this point on their part. If you if you are going to be the premier platform provider of mm -hmm. x86 hardware, including storage controllers, including networking, including GPU, including CPU, it is absolutely incumbent upon you to create drivers for all of the predominant x86 platforms, especially when you already have relationships and you already have developers on it. You've already got the departments. It's just simply a matter of you giving a shit. And so I put I put the end of the day blame on Intel for really wearing the D-bag hat here and not stepping up because if there was proper support in the kernel, this wouldn't have been an issue to begin with. You could just use Intel's crappy raid mode. Yeah, and you know what? And uh, and all that said, if you don't want to do that, that's perfectly fine. Companies like Pixar will just buy their computers from System76. Yeah, and not use that uh, crazy-ass uh, raid mode. So let's talk about something that I am super excited about. GNOME 3.22 is released. Not a whole bunch that's going to drive you uh, to the repo to get it immediately. This is probably the least, like, oh my god, i got to have it release. However, if Nautilus has been bugging you, it's gotten major improvements, including integrated archive support now, which has done really well. Flatpak support's been bumped, which is nice because there's been some improvements there. And GNOME software has been touched up. Now that there's a lot of projects forking this too, I think this is more important than ever, including support for flat packs is uh, rolled in there. I really like the new Nautilus stuff, I think, or I guess files is what it's called now. And one of the big features for Fedora 25 is Wayland support is continuing to mature and it's been bumped up to usable for the majority of users as of GNOME 322, which is landing just in time for 25 since they want to ship that. Updates to calendar are nice. Polari, there's been, they also, they have a, you know, they got themselves a video as, as everyone does these days. Um, if you want to watch it, in fact, I maybe I'll play a bit of it because it's kind of, it's kind of neat that they're all doing these videos now. Mm -hmm. It feels like, uh, that's a, I don't know, that's a nice way to spread the word. So here's a little bit of the GNOME 3.22 video, which also works pretty good in, GNOME in audio. GNOME is developing a free desktop for the next generation. It's created by an open community, which provides a simple and beautiful experience for everyone. The application core is continually being improved. Many of the advancements were made by new and longtime contributors alike, Who together knows? with GNOME interns from Outreachy and Google Summer of Code. Files has seen a lot of new development this cycle. Archives are now automatically extracted when opened. Files can also compress your data to the most commonly used archive formats, such as zip, tar, and 7-zip. 
not stuff that's going to blow you away, right? But stuff that's Hard nice edges. to have integrated in. Uh, they also have a new bulk renamer that they're very proud of. Like I mentioned, uh, software has been improved, all, including Flatpak support. GNOME Calendar has gotten some nice improvements. I would say the probably the number one thing, I wonder if they include it in this video, is uh, GNOME Builder is getting really nice. Sure. GNOME is enhancing desktop security by building sandboxing technology with GTK, Wayland, yeah. and Flatpak. All right. With this release, developers can make use of sandboxing technology directly from GNOME Builder. Yeah, there you go. From the revamped header bar, you can compile your projects against a Flatpak runtime. That's pretty cool. GNOME 3.22 will be available through many distributions soon. Yeah, uh, in fact, I think it's in Debian Unstable, it's in Arch Testing, and in OpenSUSE Leap already if you want to get your hands on it. So it's moving out really fast, which is pretty cool. Mate also, Mate also has an update. Mate 1.16 is out, and it has an interesting major improvement. Uh, after six months of development, the Mate, Mate desktop team are proud to announce the release of Mate Desktop 1.16. Uh, Wimpy says he'd like to thank every Mate contributor for their help making this release possible. The release is focused on improving GTK 3 Plus compatibility. Specifically, they've improved support for GTK 3.22. So as GNOME 3.22 is landing with GTK 3.22, Mate is shipping with the same support for that, for that GTK backend. Why am I saying these words so much, all these acronyms and numbers? Because it actually matters. The 3.22 GTK release is the last development release in the GTK3 series. GTK Plus 3.22 will be maintained as a long-term stable version of GTK3. New development will move to the GTK Plus 3.90X releases, which eventually will become GTK4. So this GTK 3.22 is going to be something that will be around for a long time. GTK3-based stuff will be using this for a while. And the fact that you've got GNOME shipping with it and Mate shipping with it right out of the gate, good to go, is a nice like start for what's going to be uh, a release that will be around for a long time. Are you impressed at all that I just brought yeah. I, I tied it all together? I just tied it all together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool. I actually, uh, the I'm actually I'm in the process of redoing my workstation downstairs, and uh, I think it's going to go, you know, it's, I've been, I, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of a big moment in my life. I have been sticking with Fedora, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up, and I think the next time I redo my workstation, which is now, I just got the new drive in, and I think I'm going to put Entergos. <gasps> I know. I know. What? I know. So I was I was I was doing a bunch of research the other night and uh, and I was looking at a couple different things but the, the the problem is is if I was just doing if I was just doing Noah and AltaSpeed where I was uh, where I was managing a lot of Red Hat servers and stuff like that then Fedora still kind of makes sense but ever since that split around Fedora 15 where they have where it, Fedora is no longer like the next version of Red Hat, where it's just it's kind of its own thing, it, 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 the, that path has been widening, 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 and it's become less and less, and it's been less and less valuable to me for managing Red Hat servers. And at the same time, Antrigo, at the same time that that's been happening, Antrigos is being such a such a, such a um, central part of uh, Jupiter Broadcasting has been becoming more and more important for me to understand how things work, and so. Now I found myself, I have a laptop that sits on my desk and its purpose is to run Antrios and I just, I figure things out on it and I'm like, why am I doing all this stuff on here when I have this six display set up in front of me that's not <laughs> running, you know? So I think that's going to get redone and as a result, I'll be switching my primary desktop. Wow, uh, the big multi-display you know. beast! 
Yeah. Wow, man. Well, that'll be really interesting. So, uh, mm-hmm. not elementary OS, not Ubuntu LTS, but enter gross. Well, I wanted networking, and um, mm, fair enough. Is- Great, but I, I have I, I didn't have the best experience on more than two monitors. Mm. Uh, so and you yeah, know, I, be honest, are you enjoying no more these days? Oh, I've never I, uh, I like, you preferred no, Unity for quite a while. Be honest, no, come that's on, not true. that's come not on. true. That's not that's not true. That's not true. I liked Gnome from Gnome three from day one when it was released. When everyone else was like, you I did? Have a minimize button. Yes, I, I thought did. you were Mr. Unity. Unity. No, 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 no. It's got a bar. It's got a bar. It's got a thing. And I do like the I do like the bar. But the only thing I liked about Unity was on more than more than uh, two monitors. Unity has some cool things about about multi monitor support, which is kind of neat. That said, the only reason I started using Ubuntu and Unity was because at, at at the time I started doing it, I thought that that was the best chance I'd have at switching other people over to Linux. These days, I'm not putting ah. people on Unity and Ubuntu. I'm you using put them on Mate. Let's say, yeah. yeah, yeah. So why didn't you go with uh, Mate? That seems like that would have been your choice since all of your two, clients two, are. Yeah, two reasons. One is because Mate is one of those things where it's there's really nothing left for me to learn if if I can. If I can do it on Ubuntu base, it will work on Ubuntu Mate. Second thing is I have a tremendous amount of uh, I have a tremendous amount of um, uh, you know um, uh, what's the word uh, trust in in people like Wimpy to deliver a high quality product. So I don't feel like I have to constantly be on the front edge and make sure I do that know, everything's I working. I follow what you mean there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then last of all, uh, the the thing I don't like about it that well, two things that I don't like about it. One is I've gotten too used to hitting a single key and launching something. Not using GNOME Dude just wasn't really doing it for me. Yeah, and me Snaps just wasn't quite doing it. And then the second thing is, and I do this all the time. I right click on an icon and then I want to launch a new instance or a new yes. window. And I can't do that in Mate. I can't open a new window or a new incognito window in Chrome or whatever. I, in fact, I was trying to do that today when I goofed up that camera thing. Try to open an and I had to open Chrome first. Then I have to open an incognito window. Then I have to go back and close the original one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so little yeah. things like that. Or I just prefer no. Plus, the extensions are really cool. I have a lot of extensions I really like. Yeah, I I, I keep going back to it um, because I like that it's distribution agnostic. Yes. And uh, I, I like that they seem to be – they don't have this, the same level of attention to detail and love and care that Elementary's uh, Pantheon desktop does. Mm-hmm. But I, it's close enough that it, do, it doesn't trigger my uh, OCD and distraction like, oh, got to fix, got to fix. I can just you know, get it out of my eyesight and it just does mm-hmm. its job. Sort of like Unity really does too. That's sort of what I liked about Unity the most is it was mm-hmm. just sort of distraction-free. Um, so yeah, when it has networking, uh, that's really interesting. So is that the build that we talked about on user error, or is that a different? No. Oh yeah, oh, no, that's the right, build we talked about in user is the one I'm talking to you on right, right. now, which is yeah. looking good and solid, by the way. Uh, that does have a bunch of Mate on it. Just a quick side note: uh, people that have been wondering why Noah's video and audio all of a sudden starts looking and sounding a lot better, we've made a bunch of behind-the-scenes improvements. We're always working every episode on making, trying to make the show better, and sometimes, sometimes. Like, we're surprised that you guys notice because we do it every week. There's little things we do, but sometimes we do something, I guess, that's bigger than we thought it was, and, and we got a bunch of people asking why Noah looks and sounds so much better. And I think that was User Air 4 where we talked about the hardware and software setup that's making all of that. Three or four? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Two or three. It's because some, it was, the, it okay. was the, one of the first weeks. We, in fact, I think it was two because I think that was the episode I was so excited about doing. Okay, Pretty well, sure you know, one of the nice things in that show is that all of the topics are broken out in the show notes by minute, so mm-hmm. you could just look at that and find it, if you are curious about it. And, of course, all Linux, all open source, 
No Windows, no Mac. It's it's pretty awesome. So uh, well, isn't that's worth mentioning? Yeah, don't you think? no, I agree. I just it's like go listen to User Air Two, you'll understand the snicker. Oh man, if you listen to the whole, actually starting with yeah. User Air One is the show where we had the fight about about it. That's User Air really? One. Really? Is yeah, that one? I think so. No way. Yeah. So no, I guess that can't be right. No, they, it I, is. It is. I think. Really? Yeah. Okay, I think then so. that's the one that you need to listen to because that's the one where you talk about it. I thought I swear no. it's two. It's because we we talk about the fight in one episode and then we talk about the fix in another episode. Oh, we do? Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. I know, okay. it's, it all runs together because it's only <gasps> yeah. been five episodes. All right, so uh, that's all the news. If there wasn't a story that, if there was a story that you didn't, you didn't hear, uh, check out, might have got covered in Linux Unplugged, but also you could submit it to the Linux Action Show subreddit at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We look through the votes, the comments, and then, of course, try to feel if they're a good fit, and we match it up with the news stories that we've identified throughout the week, and we fill in our holes or see what you guys think about the stories that we're tracking. It's it's very useful tool for that, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, if there's a story that you wanted to hear us talk about that you didn't hear on the show. Otherwise, that's all the news for this week. I've been working on this review for a while, brewing it around, chewing on it, mulling it like a like a piece of clay on a spinning thing where Patrick Swayze is standing over me watching me work on the open media vault. I've tried it on different hardware, and I'm here to report my results. And uh, Noah's been kicking the tires as well, so we'll give you our look at open media vault 2 and 3 and where it stacks up. But first, I want to mention our friends at Linux Academy who made this segment possible. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug. This is a platform to learn more about Linux, where Linux itself is the core focus. It's not one of the things they do, it's what they do. The entire technology stack around Linux, things like AWS and Azure included with that, OpenStack, obviously, but all of the fundamentals. You get study tools and learning paths to put you down a, a direct kind of content path that is planned by instructors for specific career tracks. They have course schedulers for your availability. They have labs and exercises to give you hands-on experience. They have instructor mentoring available and a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. It's a great way to learn more about something you hear on this show. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So this is kind of silly. I got a full disclaimer up front. I have a goal in my uh, new Ju uh, J Lady Jupiter Studio setup that I am slowly building over time to use 100% Linux. And so by that definition, and it's something that I, I want to do just for the show, but also as sort of a benchmark as which to test these Linux solutions by. And in this vein, I've chosen to look at Open Media Vault. I have a FreeNAS server here at the studio. I really like FreeNAS as a product. I've paid my own personal money uh, for the times that I've built about a FreeNAS Mini. IX Systems does sponsor uh, TechSnap and BSDNL. And uh, um, they are now the company. They weren't originally, but they are now the folks behind FreeNAS. They've taken it under their umbrella to maintain it and improve it a lot. So I am fully aware going into this review that FreeNAS is a thing. And it's already been the number one comment I've received is that I'm... I'm, I'm I'm making a silly distinction by not picking BSD over Linux and that I should go with FreeNAS. And I specifically wanted to set out and see what a free open source Linux offering had competitively over, say, FreeNAS, or at least maybe matched up to FreeNAS if something really stacked up. So that was really my goal. And I know, Noah, you kind of also are a pretty established, happy FreeNAS user. So I was yeah, kind of curious only, what lens you looked at this with. Yeah, not only am I an established, happy FreeNAS user, mm -hmm. uh, like FreeNAS up until a couple of months ago was just the, well, you know what, that's yeah. just what you use and it works yeah. and never really given me any problems. It's got that but then ZFS. A couple months ago, 
yeah, then a couple months ago, I a drive went out on me and I was I I took a whole day off of work. I was ready. I was like, "You know what? I got to go fix this problem at home." And it ended up taking me like 15 minutes. Like, I pulled one drive out, I followed Alan's instructions, I put another drive in and I clicked a button and it was like magic and my file server was back and I never even really had to do anything. And then from that day forward, I was like, you know, Praise FreeNAS, FreeNAS, all hail FreeNAS. FreeNAS is amazing. I will stand by FreeNAS and use it forevermore. So when you said, hey, let's review Open Media Vault, I was like, you go do that. I'll stick with FreeNAS and I'll let you know how they compare. Yeah. Although, that's to be the fair, lens I went to it. you did try it out. You did install I did. it. Yep, yep. Yeah, and we'll talk there, about there, that. The one thing that has always bothered me about FreeNAS, still bothers me to this day, even with ZFS support on Linux, is I really like the ability to take a drive out of any computer and just plug it into my laptop and pull data off of it. And I can't do that with FreeNAS. At least I, it's a little less difficult now that ZFS is on Linux, but it's still, it's still not quite as simple as plug and play. Yeah, I'll tell you something else, and then we'll get right into it. Um, I, 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 years ago... I really, really screwed up a FreeNAS installation, and I didn't do much. I, I SSH'd into the into the install, and I installed a few things. And I, I don't think it's I don't know if it's as fragile anymore, but it came down like a house of cards around me. And what I realized was is that I, if when I have something as as important to me as my data, when it's the the work we do here at the network, it's the stuff of my kids, it's my personal media collection, stuff that I've spent years cultivating. Um, all of that stuff is probably more valuable to me than any physical possession that I have. And so mm-hmm. I just am, I am not comfortable having something that valuable to me locked up behind a machine that I don't fully understand. I, mm-hmm. In an emergency situation, something really goes to shit. I like having the confidence and I like having the knowledge available to me when I'm in an emergency situation. I like knowing that... With Open Media Vault, immediately one of the first things that drew, drew me to it is that it's based on Debian. And so mm-hmm. all of the knowledge I have around Debian and how to manage a Debian system, I can take to Open Media Vault. And if I'm ever in a, in a really desperate situation, I feel so much more at peace with peace of mind knowing that it's Debian under there. And I can go get yeah. a package. I can, I can Google something on Debian. I'm going to understand what stuff, what stuff means. I know most of the paths uh, by memory. All of that stuff is, is something. You can use your general Linux knowledge to, to facilitate this one specific thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's something that's so important to me that uh, that's, that is really one of the things that pushed me towards Open Media Vault. And since I only want to do Linux installations in Lady Jupiter anyways, I kind of did. I looked around and I thought Open Media Vault really was one of the best offerings out there in this space. One of the things that uh, drew me to Open Media Vault uh, right away is that it was started by one of the creators of FreeNAS. He actually worked on it. He worked. He forked Monowall or whatever you pronounced it back in the day and created FreeNAS. And then the project got to a point where they realized geez, we've got to revamp this whole infrastructure. And at that point, one developer thought it might be better to go Linux-based, and one developer thought it, might, it would be better to stay BSD-based, and the projects forked. And it over, over it very quickly was named Open Media Vault. And so its heritage is in FreeNAS, which was appealing to me as someone who's had a, you know, a FreeNAS server now in production for two and a half years that's been running flawlessly, which is mm-hmm. all the proof in the pudding right there. I thought, okay, well, that's a great product. And this guy was one of the people that originally created it. And it's based on Debian. So we got two versions to really look at. There's the release stable version, the one you should be using on your hardware, and that mm-hmm. is Open Media Vault 2, 2.x. So they've just recently revved it, and it's based on Debian 7. 
There's another version in development. It's been development for a long time now, and uh, I've gotten some good feedback from people we know in the community that are using it, and they're using version three, several of them actually, with quite a bit of success. And so I decided to also go with version three for my primary testing, although I did look at two. But I went with my I went with version three because it's based on Debian eight, and the get ready for it. The big difference for me with Debian eight is it comes with. System D, yay! And as crazy as it might sound to some of you out there, that's actually a feature for me because it it's that's my knowledge set now is the System D world, the Arch boxes and the Ubuntu boxes I all manage are System D, and so to have my NAS server also be System D is a big advantage. Plus, Debian 8 was actually released since one, my kids have been born, and so it was also sort of felt a little more modern, something I'd be le- more likely to get packages for and, and more current documentation. Nothing wrong with Debian 7 at this point, and if you're really going to use Open Media Vault in a serious like business production environment or somewhere, you probably should look at version 2. But for testing, and I believe it'll be released very soon, I decided to look primarily at version 3. And there's some pros and cons there. And, and I think for you, did you end up primarily spending time with version two? Yeah, because like three would not work for me. Yeah, tell me about three. that. Well, so I um, I started with, I, I, I was, I told Chris, I said, I'm going to try this on a spare box. And so he said, this is the version I'm trying, go ahead and download it. So mm-hmm. I downloaded the ISO, wrote it to a USB drive, plugged it in, tried to install it. The install went just fine. <clears throat> but when I got done and I booted, I couldn't get a DHCP address for my DHCP server. I thought, well, that's weird. Went back, read, went back and statically assigned a, an address and still couldn't talk to the box. Went back and used the 2x version. That works just fine. And so I'm not sure if maybe my network com- card wasn't compatible with three or something was weird or maybe I got a weird ISO. I don't know. But I I, ha- I was sticking primarily with two and that's actually where I spent uh, the majority of my time. Except for I was able to get. I think I used three for. I downloaded the um, uh, Pi version, Raspberry Pi version. <clears throat> and, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, installed it on a Raspberry Pi. So let's talk about uh, that in a moment. I want to do that okay. separately. Sure. So yeah, version three's been in development. Consider that because it's a moving target, which means plugins might get created for it and then something changes and the plugins have to be updated. There's not as many plugins yet for version three. But the major ones for me, like ZFS and and Plex uh, and uh, a few others I'm gonna talk about, uh, have been. So let's let's take a moment and talk about version three. I've got it up here on the screen if you're watching. It has a very nice interface comparative to the current version of FreeNAS. In fact, I like it better than FreeNAS's current interface. FreeNAS 10 will have an entirely new UI, so that all changes. But they have really nice system information built in right here. It gives you the, so you can see my uh, current uptime is 30 days, 20 hours, 23 minutes, and 16 seconds uh, with a really low load average. This thing's not working very hard. And it's currently running version 3.0.3.9 of, uh, of Open Media Vault 3. And on the left-hand side of the UI, you have your split section. You have your system settings, your storage settings, your user group, and your user management. And I have not played a lot with the user management, but I know it's an area you looked at, Noah, and we're actually mm-hmm. kind of impressed with over, say, FreeNAS. Yeah, so you had talked about how you had botched a FreeNAS installation uh, a couple years ago by <clears throat> screwing around under the hood. Well, I botched FreeNAS installation. That, yeah. <laughs> so I, I botched a FreeNAS installation uh, where I had set it up for this client and they had they had a <clears throat> what they were calling the public drive, which is where everyone was dumping stuff. And then they had like accounting drive and marketing drive and HR drive and stuff like this. And they didn't want anyone from any of the other departments to be able to access those specific shares. And so I went through the FreeNAS installation and, and, and set up 
the drives as I thought they were set up correctly, the user management as I thought it was set up correctly, and then it was revealed to me a couple weeks later that is if you SSH into the box, they could get to those other directories even though the the user management was basically by share and I had to go back and change it and stuff and it, it just it kind of yeah. threw me for a loop a little bit and one of the first things that stood out to me is open media vault is when you create a user that 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 user and their permissions seem to follow them across the the shares um and again, I was only played with it for a couple of days, so if I'm wrong on that, I, I apologize. But that that was that was my impression of how it works, and so it was, it was much much easier. And part of it was I think that they just have less options available to you, and so it's it, you know like there's in FreeNAS there's you know do I add this permission to the directories uh-huh, recursively yeah, yeah. or uh, this? And in Open Media Vault, it just there's just a couple little things you check them the way you want and click OK, and it's done. So it seems like it's a fairly it's a better choice for somebody if you're just getting started and you've got a smaller group that you're working with and you just kind of want to get them up and running. Or some home shares and just want them to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to tell you more about my hardware setup specifics in a moment because I think it's kind of relevant, but I just want to continue on some of the nice UI features. Mm-hmm. Really easy to get updates. It's built in here. It's using apt on the back end, which has bitten me once or twice, actually. I had a couple of repos that stopped working for a couple of days. Uh, but if, if, you, uh, if you watch the output, it's all just apt commands it's doing in the background. The plugins are really easy to add. The OMV-extras is where all the goodies are. That's where you get your ZFS support. That's where you get Mono. That's where you get Greyhole. That's where you get Plex. There's a bunch of different plugins, and more and more are coming out for version 3 all the time. Some of them don't work for whatever reason at this moment. I Probably I would blame uh, the fact that it's in beta. Like, here's MB, for example. This is definitely one I want to try out. I click the install option. It's really easy. I say, yes, I'd like to do the installation. But it actually will end up airing out, yeah. Uh, it couldn't. It couldn't. It, there's a dependency issue. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I, I really. Maybe after I get all of the updates installed, everything will work fine. That happens with some of the plugins, just because the versions of the OS are changing, the versions of the plugins are changing. So that's another reason why I say don't use three yet. But once that's stabilized out, this is going to be really kick-ass because these plugins take this from, okay, you know, I got a file server and I've got some Samba shares, I've got some NFS mounts, I got users. It's good. It's fine. But the plugins are, are really what kicks this thing up. So I'll give you an example of one of the plugins that I like a lot. It's called SnapRaid. And SnapRaid, you can, you can go uh, check out on their website more. They have more information. But it's a really convenient way to take snapshots of your RAID array. It doesn't matter if you're using ZFS or Extended 4 or XFS. This is something that rides on top of that. It's fully configurable in the OpenMediaVault GUI. And it's one of these things you can run on Open Media Vault that give you honestly some serious peace of mind about your data. So it's SnapRaid in my in and I, in a lot of in a, in most cases when I first started testing Open Media Vault I tried it on a couple of different rigs. I was doing ZFS, 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 ZFS. <sighs> Cuz right that's the hotness, right? That's the hotness, ZFS, ZFS, ZFS. Then I started looking at Greyhole and I started looking at SnapRaid and I started going, you know, if I go with these two tools, if they and I I'm still testing them, but if I go with these two tools, and I combine that with an XFS file format backend, which is which is a file system that uh, f- that I've just used for for ever since I since I worked in data centers in the early two thousands, and it's just been my go to, super safe, easy to take care of, easy to manage, doesn't get fragged to hell. It is just a really great file system that is rock solid by SGI, and 
I have a lot of faith, and like I have a lot of faith in Debian 8, I can combine a file system that I know intimately well, and mm -hmm. I can use services like Greyhole and SnapRaid to provide essentially what it was that I wanted from ZFS, for the most part, with the exception of checksumming. Um, really kind of easy with just a couple of plugins in Open Media Vault. So SnapRaid is really nice. Another one I did is Shell in a Box, so you get... You can do an SSH uh, client right here in your web browser, which is mm -hmm. handy when you want to just do some back-end stuff. In fact, before I get to Greyhole, I think I'm going to mention my biggest con about Open Media Vault and what ultimately will be probably the reason I'm not using it, and I'll tell you more. The UI is great, but the UI doesn't accommodate you connecting to NFS shares, other NFS shares. It, it'll, it'll totally allow you to set up an NFS share and manage who mm -hmm. can connect to it and define what directories are shared. But if you need to connect it to, say, another data store, maybe you're going to mm -hmm. use Greyhole, or you have an existing um, uh, uh, storage array in place, like in the case of Angela's house, that is established and you connect it over NFS, you can, all, you can absolutely SSH into the Debian command line, and you can do an NFS mount, and you can mount the son of a gun, but at no, point, at no point does it show up in the Open Media Vault UI as a resource to any of the services that are configured gotcha. through any of these built-in tools. So while I actually, so for example, I go, if I go to the BitTorrent client and I go to configure where it should store files to, even though I have a 12 terabyte NFS array uh, mounted right now on, at the Debian level, it will not show up as a device that I can configure the service to use. Only the locally attached USB drive array shows up in here. Now, this is manageable to some degree because things I really want, like SAB, NZB, and Plex, I configure through their own interfaces. And there may be ways maybe I can, maybe I can make it show up as a device. I haven't monkeyed around with that a lot. But it's sort of a core functionality that I need that is lacking. So if you, for some reason, if you have some stupid reason like I do to have your file server connect to another file server for additional storage. That, that's a pretty, that's a pretty common thing though know, in larger businesses. I know. You know, as I've got, I have a client, they're not even that big, but they have like 50 or 60 workstations. Yeah. We got four file servers over there. And if those file servers couldn't talk to each other, we'd be in, we'd be in a world of hurt. Yeah, I know. Um, that's sort of why uh, it's kind of a disqualifier for me. So I want to tell you why, give you more details, and now I'm going to get into the hardware setup. So th the main hardware that I've been testing on that's been running for 30 days here in the studio is a NUC, an Intel Core i5 fourth generation NUC with uh, four USB 3 ports connected to a four terabyte Western Digital Book Duo, which has two drives in uh, a mirrored setup. Mm -hmm. And I like this a lot because this enclosure is really, you just pop open the top and you can swap the drives and it comes with two Western Digital Reds by mm -hmm. default, which worked pretty well for my configuration. It also has dummy LED lights to give me health statuses about each drive on the front of the case, which is nice. Um, so I've been pretty happy. It's like just it's some storage we lug around here. Uh, so I have a NUC connected over USB to that, and that's sort of the local storage. And then I'm, I'm trying to connect out to another NFS server we have here at the, net, at the network that has our established, like, media and, uh, and production clips and stuff like that. Um, and then I want to set up another Open Media Vault box at Angela's house and replace a custom-built ArchDuck running all of her home management systems and media downloads and core categorizing and media streaming. All of the stuff that they just use like all the time uh, is running on this one little Arch box that I haven't updated for like a year. And I just want to take that NUC out and take a new NUC and put it in there running Open Media Vault, essentially do a mm -hmm. NUC swap 
because we've you know just it's the same exact. We bought two of the NUCs, and so I'm going to just swap them out and put Open Media Vault in there. But it also will need to connect to her existing Synology. Uh, she has a DS four twelve plus. Uh, it's just over three years old, and the damn thing is still running like a champ. Flawless execution, and still getting updates from Synology. It runs Linux itself, and it is an NFS server that it connects to. It's got like redundant fans in it, and the CPU mm-hmm. is passively cool. So it's just this great little piece of disk. But I don't want to run Plex and SabNZB exactly. and Couch yeah. Potato and Sick Rage on this tiny little three-year-old Synology. I want to run it on the Open Media Vault that'll give her a UI to manage the accounts and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So I have to I have to solve that particular problem. So while I, I I feel like I feel like it's just going to require additional experimentation there, but the, it has been sort of a roadblock. There's been several things like uh, I supposedly proper UPS support is via a plugin. I can't find that plugin. Maybe I know it's out there for version two. I can find that, but for version three to get proper UPS support, I have to drop down again to the Debian command line and configure it there and manage how things should shut down in what order or what happens when certain power states are reached. By editing the configuration what files. Ver- what does version three have that that uh, that you're you're bent on that you that you don't want to use version two? You know, I think I, for Angela, I probably will put version two in production. Um, f- but I don't. I'm not positive. Mainly, I I really want Debian eight. Uh, that's that's a strong part is because I do have to keep dropping down to the command line to solve these problems. I want that mm-hmm. to be a competent environment that I'm more familiar with. So that's definitely a, a huge factor of it. Also, uh, the plugin, that's where the effort on a lot of the plugins is now going, is to version 3. So gotcha. there's, there's that element of it as well. And version 3 is about to be released. And I absolutely don't want to have to upgrade our machine a month or two or three or even six after I've just set it up. I just want yeah, to set it yeah, up today sense. and leave it for, done with it. for yeah. years. So those are kind of driving the decision there. Um, but yeah, I, I know. I, I here's here's what I want to do is I want to use these different NFS mounts and I want to combine it with Greyhole. And the reason why this is really nice is Greyhole is using a bunch of really cool Samba stuff on the back end. Essentially, it is a VFS module for Samba, and uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, the, you define the storage pool by listing the paths of all the different disks you want to use, and then when the files are added to Greyhole shares landing zones. The Greyhole daemon moves those files to one plus, you know, for a redundancy, mm-hmm. to all the different paths you've defined in the storage pool. It then replaces the original file in the landing zone with a symbolic link pointing to one of the copies created in the pool. And then Samba is configured to use opaque so- uh, symbolic links, what are in fact symbolic links to the shares appear as just normal files when you view the share as a user, so you don't even know they're symlinks because Samba is configured to hide that element from you. And uh, it, it, with one of the drive dies, it, it does periodic re-indexings and just updates the symbolic link after a few minutes with the version pointing to uh, a good working copy. So it, you can add, is all, if you can provide a path, you can add it to a gray hole storage pool. So that mm-hmm. means USB store, you can mix storage, which I don't recommend, but a lot of people write in asking if they can mix all different types of storage. And what I would like to do is I would like to use this to potentially add additional NFS storage because this NUC has limited USB. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, one of the things about the Western Digital that I've been testing on here in the studio is it has a USB hub on the back of it. So since the NUC has limited USB ports, the Western Digital drive has two additional USB ports, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. But 
I hate using USB as primary means of storage. I just don't have a lot of faith in it. I have I have a hundred times more faith in NFS than I do using USB. So far, actually, in, in a month of testing, not a single issue. So mm-hmm. I will say that. But if I if I'm going to bet on it for two years, I'm betting NFS every day of the week. And so I would like to be able to attach different NFS arrays to Open Media Vault and then use Greyhole to sort of blend it all together as one massive storage pool to the end users. Mm-hmm. In this case, being Angela and the kids, or Hadia, or myself and Rikai. And um, that's sort of my goal with is using SnapRaid to protect my XFS setup to get snapshots the way I want them, and use mm-hmm. Greyhole to combine backend NFS shares. But this is like the weakest area in the Open Media Vault UI. So it's like this total like catch-22 for me right now. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think my, my takeaway from it is it's kind of boring, just like good storage should be. It has mm-hmm. a pretty active community around it. And I think it's honestly competitive with FreeNAS because it also, not only can you do things like Greyhole and SnapRaid, but you could also just use ZFS if you want. It's got, mm-hmm. it's got a plug-in for ZFS, and it's got a bunch of great utilities that you're familiar with that are really easy, one-click turn-on, setting up R-Sync servers, FTP servers, managing all of that stuff in one nice UI. It is absolutely a perfect small business server solution that you mm-hmm. stick in the corner. It could be your home server. And if you, like me, want to do on Linux-only setup, I don't really think you're losing a lot by choosing Open Media Vault, especially when version 3 ships, over FreeNAS. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see I don't see a big feature gap here, and I'll take mm-hmm. the Linux-based Debian solution over FreeNAS most of the time. The only thing that would weigh me towards FreeNAS at this moment in time is it's an industry-proven product that has a great company behind it and hardware you could just buy set up ready to go right now that's reliable, which is going to be a winner for years. But if Open Media Vault keeps this up, there is some serious momentum that's going to build here. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's at the stage now for me personally, at my personal systems, that it's seriously considerable. So I'm going to deploy it at Angela's house and run it there and watch it. But for myself, mm-hmm. and specifically for Lady Jupiter, the hunt goes on. I continue the hunt. I'll tell you one thing I don't want. Why does, why does Lady Jupiter need to be able to talk to other NFS shares? Well, here's what, actually, Lady Jupiter has a sep- totally separate problem. I don't want a whole bunch of external storage at all with Lady Jupiter. I want to... I want to I, I, what I was thinking about is getting a case that could fit a bunch of disks. That's something that's yeah. small that I could put under the seat. Yeah, why um, not do that? Yeah, that's that's a possibility. But in the t- in the meantime, because I while I was while I was reviewing Open Media Vault, I was contacted by QNAP because they listen to the Linux Unplugged show, and they're going to send me a review unit of one of their rigs that runs Ubuntu. And this would be an all-in-one unit that I'm going to try out. Uh, which I'll probably be getting next week if all goes. Hopefully, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's probably it'll probably be arriving when I'm in Seattle on Tuesday. That would be my luck. Uh, and so I'm going to try that for a while. And then also on my list of things to try, just from a total competitive feature, is Unraid. And the reason why both the the QNAP solution and Unraid are pushing my buttons is they both extensively support virtualization as. Uh, hosting virtualization. Now, ho- hey, hold on. I know Open Media Vault does too, but it's it's not the same. It's it's it is more VirtualBox based. I'm not interested in that. Th- these are more KVM like real virtualization solutions, including pa- hardware path through support uh, and things like that. In both cases, mm-hmm. so I'm there's a possibility that these could also be the multimedia interface to my TV because they have they both have HDMI out. They both support doing the running a media center instance on there, running Kodi on there directly with hardware acceleration. So mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because I want to reduce the amount of devices. I don't want to have uh, a NUC and external disk, and I don't want to keep adding to that. I'm trying to keep it one device because it's going under a seat. It's going inside a bench seat, and I want to reduce power usage. I'm going to try out QNAP solution, see how that goes. But I'm kind of I, I'm not I'm I'm expecting that to be too limiting. So I'm kind of also hedging on Unraid because version 6.2 just came out, mm-hmm. and they've really improved the Docker and virtualization support in that one. And I think delivering plugins via Docker, which is the same route FreeNAS is about to take, is mm-hmm. Probably a, a pretty solid solution. Say what you will about Docker, but there's a lot of people that know how to use it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of hedging on Unraid at this point. Going to see where QNAP falls in. So my personal use for Lady Jupiter, I don't think I'm going to go with Open Media Vault at this point unless these next two solutions fail me and I double back. In the meantime, I'll be deploying and managing Open Media Vault at Angel's house to kind of keep an eye on how it goes. So for me right now, not quite, not quite taking the FreeNAS crown not quite replacing the other possibilities, but I was damn impressed. And I think for 90% of people, unless you have some mm-hmm. weird use case, I think it checks all the boxes. What was your take? What was your thought? So the, the first thing I noticed right off, the bo- right off the bat was that when I went to install it, FreeNAS is very much tailored to function like an appliance. And I felt like Open Media Vault very much functions like a Linux distro with a dedicated purpose. When I go through FreeNAS, I think I think there's like three prompts. What drive do I want to, two, what drive do I want to install it on and what do I want, uh, uh, what uh, what uh, my root password is. And I click OK and then everything else, it just, it does everything. Yeah. And then when it boots up, FreeNAS, <clears throat> I get a, I get a, a menu listing. I get, uh, do you want to configure yes. it? Or can I just press one for this, press two for this? When Open Media Vault boots up, it gives me a little message and says, here's your current IP. And then here's a rip, or here's a login prompt, log in. And oh, yeah. if you if you have no experience with Linux or, or command-based uh, file systems, you know, like, and I'll give you an example. Just a couple of months ago, well, I got Well, at that a call. point, they expect you to go to the web interface. They don't even expect you to use the command line. And if you know what you're doing, that's fine. But a couple of months ago, I had a, a client that we'd set up a free NAS box, and they said, hey, our file server doesn't work. And I said, oh, okay, well, that'd be a first. Um, okay. That's interesting. So go ahead and uh, go on and tell me if it's on, right? So she goes in there, and she goes, yeah, the 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 uh, the IT guy here says uh, it's booted up to a DOS prompt. I said, put him on the phone. So he answers. I said, hey, <clears throat> the file server's not working. Honey goes, yeah, it's just sitting at a DOS prompt. And I said, okay, um, it said, is the DOS prompt? What does the DOS prompt say? And he says, it says, and then he's reading me all the options. And I said, well, hit, you know, one, tell me what the IP is. He said, tell me what the IP is. Okay, fine. So, well, it looks like it's up. I'm like, have you actually gone to look and see if that you can access the shares? And he goes, well, no, I just came in here and plugged a monitor into this box for the first time in a couple of years and noticed it was sitting at a DOS prompt. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> just leave it at the DOS prompt. Don't worry. It's fine. That's how it always is. And he goes, oh, okay. So it runs DOS. I'm like, yeah, it runs DOS. Don't worry about it. Oh, my God. So he goes, uh, so, okay, fine, right? <clears throat> but even having no CLI experience at all, clearly, yeah. he was able to tell me the, what the IP address was. Yeah, the and menu prompt system t- is nice. So that that's 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 thing one I noticed. The second thing is you don't have to have as much information to install uh, FreeNAS as you do to install Open Media Vault. It asks me a ton of different questions, much like I would if I was installing an Debian. operating system. If you're installing Debian, yeah, it's, it's an exactly. Anchor based yeah install. So that was one of the things I noticed. The second thing is, and I think you've kind of undersold this just a little bit. There is. I disagree that there is that you're not losing anything by going to Open Media Vault from FreeNAS, and part of that is is because I think there is an extensive user support. You know, a community built around FreeNAS that isn't quite there with Open Media Vault. There's definitely people out there that use it, and definitely some people you can ask some questions to. But I, I kind of disagree. I mean, just because uh, Open Media Vault troubleshooting generally just comes down to Debian troubleshooting. 
okay, fair enough. But now, but again, now you're, now you're splitting, right? Now you're going yeah, to ask yeah. the Debian question yeah. and you have to figure that out. Yeah. You have to figure out, well, this is a Debian problem. So or is it a UI thing? Right. Yeah, fair enough. So there's those kinds of things. And then the second thing is, is like, especially, and I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention this, but especially being involved with Jupiter Broadcasting, having the guy who, and I mean this in the most literal way possible, wrote the book on ZFS. And if I, I'm guessing, even if you're running ZFS on Open Media Vault, the answers you get from Alan, if you have a problem, are going to be somewhat. You're going to have to. You're going to have to sift through the uh, yeah. the uh, the Snyder marks to get to the answer you're looking for. Whereas if you're just using uh, FreeNAS, I, I can't include that you, as part of my review. I mean, well, I think it's I. But well, I don't know. It's definitely something I considered when I when I put a FreeNAS machine in my house. Was that you could ask Alan if you? Because I can ask Alan. I can ask, and you know what's funny is I'm not the only one that thinks that. Because when I was talking to Rakai about troubleshooting uh, my FreeNAS when that drive uh, failed, he goes, "You know, you could just ask Alan. He knows everything there is to know about you know uh, you know FreeNAS." And so I, and sure enough, he, was, he gave me three commands and I ran them and I got the box up it's and running. Fast. So I, I, that is one thing. And the, the yeah. last thing I'll point out is just kind of a a, a dovetail to to a comment you made. Before I had, so I have this free NAS box that I'm running now. Before that, I had one that I just kind of threw together. Right before that, the file server I had was a file server I built when I graduated high school and I moved out in my first Aww. apartment. And here's and here's what it was. It was an old IBM server that I repurposed and I plugged a USB drive yeah. into the back of it. And that stupid thing ran for probably five years Yeah, because well, he got me out of college. So yeah. 2010. Yeah. So, I mean, and mm -hmm. I ran it like that for like five, six, yeah. five, six years and I never had an issue. I yeah. booted up every time, had access to it. In fact, the thing that took it out of production was the physical drive inside of the USB yeah. enclosure finally failed. I feel like so, so like I'm this, not that nervous about USB storage. This Western digital book I'm using for testing too. One of the things I kind of like about it is the RAID controller is in the housing. And so it, you're not having to like the computer isn't doing that or the USB mm -hmm. controller isn't doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think we have to kind of wrap it up here, but I want, before we move on, I, I, I think it deserves its own segment in the review itself, and that is the, the fact that you can install Open Media Vault on a Raspberry Pi or an Odroid yes. or something like that is a huge differentiator from FreeNAS, which is x86-based mm -hmm. only, and I think opens this son of a bitch up to way more people. You take that, I have that Western Digital book, you know, you, you hook that up to a Raspberry Pi 3 uh, with Open Media Vault on it, and you could honestly have a damn, like, what is it, it would be like $190 legitimately, like, RAID-backed-up NAS solution for the home. Mm. I mean, it's, that's no joke, the fact that it supports that, and it's something that many people with FreeNAS did. So you get mm -hmm. all of the stuff we just talked about on a Raspberry Pi. How did that go for you? You tried it. Well, so how was it? So I did, and it works. It, you know, and again, it's, I, I hate, I, I, first of all, so a couple of disclaimers. One is I'm terrible at reviews because if I can store my files on it and I can pull them back off, hey, it works. That's no, what it it's supposed to do, yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, from that perspective, at the same time, I also hate doing reviews um, in like you've been using it for a month. I've been using it for a couple of days. Really, I'd want to use it for like a year, and then I'd be able yes, to actually tell you yes. what I think about That's it. That's why one of the reasons I want to put it at Angela's and then come back like six months to a year later and you do a follow-up. Yeah. So, but it works. And the thing is, it, it, I, I later this the, later this afternoon, I am going back uh, over to um, a friend's. Actually, we did a segment, the the Sandbagers, the the group of uh, college kids that are teaching a class in House like, of Linux. Yeah. yeah, House of Linux. I'm going back over there. They have a, a Linux file server, and they want to upgrade it to these Western Digital Reds that they have in USB enclosures. And one of the things that I'm going to talk to them about today is maybe using. I'm going to give them that Raspberry Pi three with Open Media Vault because it's going to be easier than trying to repurpose some old piece of crap hardware that I can find laying around. So in small instances like that, I think yeah. it has its place. But the really important disclaimer I think you have to keep in mind 
is that the Raspberry Pi was not manufactured to be an enterprise-grade file server. It's not even really designed to be an enterprise-grade computer. It's designed to be a child's learning toy, and it just so, so happens to be inexpensive and ubiquitous enough that everyone buys one and comes up with everything known to man to make it work, and they happen to be exceptionally reliable, so yeah. people tend to use I them. I think with the Pi 3, though, it's starting to get pretty solid. I mean, it really has. It's still not, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm I not using I, it, so I, I agree. Yeah. But for, you know, the possibilities of, like, a classroom NAS or, like, a two-person apartment that doesn't need and anything you know where big... That, you know where the classroom NAS really fits in is in places like Africa and, uh, and, As we know, and yeah. where they because what happens is they don't they can't actually leave a file server inside of an IT room because it will get stolen. So well, the teacher has to take the file server home. Remember the other thing night. that was explained to us. We Noah and I had a conversation with a gentleman who's deploying equipment in these areas, and mm -hmm. uh, he says the other problem is, is that the power gets cut off all the time. So you right. need something that's not a power hog, so that could run exactly. off a lithium battery while while the power is out for a bit. And so when you have a file server that's turning on and off all the time, sometimes mm -hmm. the power server the power comes back on, and the server isn't turned back on, or it's surging for yeah. a while. So it's something like a Raspberry Pi that could have a, a low power disk but, attached to it could be huge. But I still am coming back to if 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 a USB drive connected to a NUC makes you nervous, having a USB drive yeah. plugged into a Raspberry mm -hmm. Pi as yeah. your file server. That's what I'm doing. Uh, the Odroid recipe for it is that. I got the old. That's why I do the Odroid. I'm I'm kidding. Yeah, it's I agree. I, actually, Odroid is probably a step up. To be honest with you, if nothing yeah. else, here's one more. I'll give one more attempt, then we'll wrap it up. Here's another reason why I think it's a badass method. Picture it, Noah. You ready for this? It's three years down the road. Alta Speed is all Open Media Vault everywhere. Every major client that will listen, you've switched Open Media Vault. It's powering Linux. media displays, all Linux everywhere. And now you got new hires coming on, and they've never heard of Open Media Vault. You give them a Raspberry Pi and a USB hard yeah. drive, and you say, take that home, kid. Come God, back. That is a good point. That is an excellent point. And, you know, the other thing is is kind of extrapolating onto that. If you want to try Open Media Vault and give it a shot and see exactly. if it works for you, you can do it for 50 bucks rather than a couple hundred. Yeah. yeah. I could, that you have me sold 100%. So I think that's why that's it's, it's super cool. Plus, I like the idea that an open source project is made available to more people to experiment and extend it because it's on those devices where FreeNAS is sort of lobbed off on these expensive x86 devices and that's sort of the entry fee you have to pay to try it. For most of us, that's probably the preferred platform anyways. But for some, there's, there's probably a use case to use it on something else. It is... Super hard to review something like this, so check back in later on. We'll probably do a follow-up at some point if you guys want it. Leave a comment maybe at YouTube or at the Linux Action Show subreddit and or send it an email and let us know if you'd like a follow-up review because it's kind of hard to tell if you guys are – do people really care about this kind of stuff? I mean, it's a file server. Do you want to know what it was like a year later, six months later? Let us know in the comments what time frame you think is appropriate and if you would actually like to hear it or if covering it once is good enough for you. But hopefully you found something useful. And I would say at the end of the day, when you're considering a file server, be it FreeNAS or Unraid or a, a, a pre-built box, mm -hmm. I'd say you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least try out and take a look at Open Media Vault. They've got something special there, and version 3 looks like it promises to be better than ever. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. We got some emails to get into and a few other things to mention. Uh, and I like System76, as a matter of fact. System76 are the creators of machines designed, born to run Linux. You know, we were talking about that Lenovo uh, shit show earlier this week. This would be an example where you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. And remember I was mentioning their lineup is just crazier than ever? The Bonobo workstation just got an update 
this son of a gun now has GTX 10 series configurations with a dual GPU option, holy crap, and 120 hertz refresh rate on the screen. Unbelievable, with six generation Intel processors, up to five terabytes of storage, the, 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 the drive configuration in this thing is worth visiting the System76 page alone. You want to see something incredible, check it out. Uh, no wonder Pixar uses uh, System76 rigs for their Linux production. If you want a nice, reliable system with unbelievable performance, I mean, dual GTX 10 series in a laptop with 5 terabytes of storage and 120 hertz refresh rate 17-inch monitor, that is a monster. They could do just about anything. That could be an entire open source production setup in one box. Of course, they got a whole range of machines, laptops, desktops, light and portables, all in one desktops. Check them out at system76.com. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Is that, is that, is that two display ports? That, that thing? HDMI, two display ports, and t dual Ethernet, a lot of USB 3. Oh, man. That's you have Bonobo envy. I really, really do. I, if if the price of Bitcoin gets up to like nine hundred bucks, you're like, can we just have a rally on Bitcoin? Anyways, let's get to the mail. So, how do you suppose Christian, or how do you suppose you say this first one? Christarian? What do you think? What are you gonna go with? Come on, no. What are you going with? Come on, put K dog. K oh, what a cop out! All right, K dog writes in uh, about the proper use of a touchpad. He says, "Hello, guys," or she. Uh, my question may be silly, but I'm trying. From a year or more, I've been trying for more, more than a year to find a proper way to use and configure my trackpad on GNU slash Linux. Could you suggest some information online? Because I'm looking in particular how to use, like, the position of the hands, proper configuration under Linux, palm tracking, sensitivity, coasting, scrolling, all of that. Do you have any advice on that one, Noah? So I, uh, the, I've only had one laptop that ran Linux that actually worked what I call properly with a touchpad and that was the XPS, the original XPS 13 and I could I could use my index finger to move the mouse like I ordinarily d did and click with my thumb and leave my thumb resting on the, the trackpad and it would work never before or since then have I ever touched a one of those clickpad things that that actually worked on so what I've done is I've gotten to a point where I just use my index finger to move around and that way I don't have to worry about this the like the trying to adjust the sensitivity sure. and stuff and I actually if anyone's interested in it you can you can uh, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com click on the contact link click on ask Noah and, and I'll email it to you but I have an Xorg configuration that has like all of the sensitivity things and the scrolling things and all that set up so that it kind of works and I'd say it's like 95 percent of the way there it mostly works but it's it's just easier to retrain yourself to use your index finger but i had the same question when i started using linux on some of those touchpad devices yeah. i wasn't super impressed these days i've said screw it to the touchpad and i just use my uh clicker my um track point uh so you know. k-dog i this is going to sound weird but uh even if you're not an arch user check out the arch wiki on this because there's a lot of good stuff in there where it can help you figure out what type of trackpad you have and if there's drivers you could install to supplement its performance. So that's just my general tip is go read about it on the ArchWiki. You might have to translate a couple of commands, but really it tells you just how to use like hardware detection commands and proc files to cat. It's just all common Linux stuff. It just is documented well there. So that would be my recommendation. Do you want to read uh, Jeff's email there, Mr. Noah? Y yes, sir. All right. I just got it pulled up here. Wow. I got, uh, wow. Oh, I, got kicked out, I got kicked out of the dock. I oh, that's okay. Fair it's enough. Like, fair enough. That's what happened. All sure, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jeff writes in and he wants to ask you a question <gasps> about 
wallpaper changes. He says, I think it was in last week's episode, uh, in last week's last that you were showing off a desktop with the wallpaper changer app that took random wallpapers from an online source and sets them for you. Like going to something similar because it's good to have variety. You said you are just collecting your favorite wallpaper images to a single folder so that you can cycle through them instead of randomly grabbing an entire online source because wallpaper slideshows do not seem to be backed in the GNOME desktop environment that I cannot find a wallpaper changer like I am instead using a script which is running in the background and changes the wallpaper every 10 minutes. I don't know if it's shared already with you, but here's the script I use for changing wallpaper. Cool. And then he includes a bash script. So if anyone out there is interested in changing their wallpapers via a script rather than an actual utility, we have that and made it available to you in this show week's notes. show notes. Yeah, and uh, Noah, you know this. I do use Variety. That is the name of the application I use. Yes, I do. It was an app pick that Noah picked a while ago. And it, you go in here and you say... <clears throat> download from these sources wallbase.cc flickr wallpapers.net you can you can set some configuration settings like i have mine uh, it adds a clock to my desktop which is nice so you can see there's the time and the date and it's uh it's very zen because of the backgrounds i've kind of zeroed, zeroed in on so it actually makes for an extremely nice desktop and then to kind of complement the backgrounds i have a transparent gnome bar here at the top which uh, will which becomes solid if I maximize one of my windows, so it all kind of matches, but otherwise remains transparent. So it all really kind of fits together quite nicely. One of the other things that's really cool to play with, if you've never done this, is play around with blurring your background. This is I'm going to do. I'll just do for experimentation purposes. I'll uh, I'll set a heavy blur. Uh, it makes windows pop. Yeah. Things. It's, yeah. You really. It actually Boca helps you focus. Is the term you're, is the term you're looking for? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because one window's in focus, then yeah. everything else is yeah. out of focus. So it makes that one thing that's well, in focus stand out a lot more. Not to be a lens nerd, but bokeh is technically the effect of how the lighting and things the look. The quality in, of the blur. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you get the idea, and it's actually a pretty slick effect. Uh, that I sometimes like to turn on when I'm doing like uh, screenshot demos and things like that because it, mm -hmm. it helps your eye focus on there. So variety runs in the background and every now and then when you get a humdinger, you just right click on it and you say add to favorites. And it, you, you say, this is where I want you to download all the photos. This is where I want you to save my favorite photos. And then I just mm -hmm. populate a folder there. And then I, you know, I, I, I picture the next time I reload this machine, instead mm -hmm. of installing variety, I'll just copy that favorites images folder and I'll just have a bunch of great ones to pick from. Sure. And I think I that's great. Idea. I think I have it changed like every forty-five minutes or half hour. So if you watch from beginning to the end of a show, you might see my background change at the beginning of from the end of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. But I like it a lot. So yeah, uh, was it Jeff? There you go, Jeff. It's uh, that is variety. But thanks for sending your bash script too. Now, if you have a question, don't forget you can ask Noah on Tuesday. Call him one eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one. JBLive.tv is where you can watch it. If you call in, please mute your stream. You got to mute your stream, otherwise you get the radio echo effect. Just the same thing, because there's a there's a compression delay, so, so you, it really messes with you when you call in. So call in, mute the stream. Will they be able to hear the stream when they're on hold? I don't think so. That'll be tricky. If I have a little bit more time, I can make that happen. But I don't. I, it's, I, the, the way that it's seems looking, really was... hard to pull off without some yeah. serious plumbing. It is. Yeah. So keep that in mind. But I think this could be a great if. If this was something that took off and the community wanted to help us, I could I could really see this becoming a thing, but we're going to try it out while Wes and I are out. So we'd love to have you participate. Again, it's one 347 
0011, and that phone number is listed in the show notes, too, and you can find when it's live at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Just like this here show, we do it live on Sundays. You can get the time in your local, local time zone there at the calendar. You can follow that guy on the Twitters. He's uh, what? What are you? At uh, Colonel Linux. Oh, weird. Just like that in the lower uh, third there. I am at Chris LAS, and the network is at Jupiter Signal, and... Uh, you can probably figure out the, the separation there. I do personal tweets and sometimes network stuff, but the Signal account is really network news, announcements, live shows, releasements, all that kind of stuff. Oh, my Spider Buddy's back. Spider came out to see the end of the show. Mr. Spider came to see us, send us off. Don't forget your uh, comments, your uh, news stories, projects you want us to talk about. All much, much appreciated at linuxactionshow.com reddit.com and grab those rss feeds to just get every single episode when we put it out you'll find them at jupiterbroadcasting.com okay everybody thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the linux action show i will see you right back here next week oh and then of course i just see a spider man it's that time of year spider in the yep. studio yep spider that would, that, would that would freak me out Oh, yeah? Really? I, I just don't like spiders. Yeah, it's a black one. It's just moving around right now on the ceiling. It's uh, going... So this is what we need. I need a C920 mounted to the... Whatever, C930. It's gonna, here's what sucks. 930E mounted to the corner so we can see this. Here's what sucks, man, is it's going towards the insulation. It's going to go live in the insulation on the ceiling, and then once it gets under there, I'll never find it. You know, you know what you need? Ah! What? Did it bite you? About you? No, it's just that okay. gross. Hello? It's going there? under the installation insulation right now, the soundproofing. And now I'm not going to be able to get to it. Ah! He'll come out the other end right when you're in the middle of an Android. This is going to give me. This is. Ah! I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. It's going to give me. Ah! We need a camera. Ah! You know, ah. Ah, don't go in there. I wish I had some spider spray or something. Great. There he goes. There he goes. And he's under the insulation. I'd say he's about yay big and black. Yeah, he's a big one, huh? Well, he's I, yeah. you know, fully extended. I mean, his body we isn't have, that big. We have this, uh, we have this like infestation of mosquitoes. I think because they stopped spraying the poison for the year, and like so, there's like hundreds of them all over the place. And I was like, I there's like this mass of them in my backyard. I think because I cut some bushes down, there was some pooling water. But like, I walked through, and all of a sudden, like I'm like, I could just it was it was weird. It was like. You know when you walk through a spider web and you just get, you kind of feel it like drag across your face? Well, it felt like that, only like in all different directions. Like, what? Oh my god, those are bugs. There's bugs everywhere. You're really telling me that after driving around and literally poisoning everyone for an entire season, that as soon as they stop, the mosquitoes just go crazy? What's yeah, the effing point? Why, that's probably why they spray the poison, to keep them... Yeah, but uh, don't you see how that's just a cyclical problem? If they would just... Eventually, you just got to stop spraying the poison, and you got to eat your you got to eat your vegetables for a couple see of now, years and let the ecosystem balance out. See, now this is what my mom says. She says that when they spray all that poison, it kills all the dragonflies and then the, or whatever. That is a thing. Drink, that is a thing. They yeah. don't eat the mosquitoes. Everybody knows so that. Screw everything else. Everybody so knows if that. If they would just stop spraying altogether, then exactly. the dragonflies would eat all the mosquitoes, and we wouldn't have the problem to begin or with. Or import no dragonflies. At a premium price. Two dollars each. Two dollars each. We just kill them all every year. Well, most of them. So, and if you guys aren't from uh, Noah's Neck of the Woods, or maybe if your area may or may not do this, they literally, they literally, you'll just be standing there, and they're usually nice. They seem to turn off the poison for a few seconds as they actually <laughs> drive by you, but then once they're five feet past you, they just flip the poison back on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it is like literally something out of the 50s. It really is. Of course, so is Blue Friday, or Sunday, so... 
Uh, I, but it's kind of adorable. Like I kind of sometimes I think, geez, you know, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't the fact that you have crazy ass winters, like I, I could see myself like spending November in just Grand Forks or something. But there's just a lot of things that just like, they kind of culminate together. Like the fact they come to a show live and you take your pants off. Yeah, sit next to me. That happened. Did it? I don't. I don't remember that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, uh, I don't remember it's that. In the outtakes. I doubt it. All right, here we go. No. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. It's open media vault. You ready? Could you quit screwing yeah. around? Okay. I, why? Yes, sir. Sorry. Sorry, Dad. All right. Thanks. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. In a three. In a two. <clears throat> hey, good? Oh, he went back underneath. Do you realize the first part of the spider thing isn't in the show? Yeah. So now nobody's going to have any idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Spider okay. Buddy's back. Wait, what do you mean he's back? Here, he's I'll do a up. thing that Rikai could put uh, in the outtakes, okay? I'm going to put a thing in the outtakes for Rikai. You're planning the outtakes? This seems cheesy. I'm just helping him set it up, dude. Give me a break! Okay, you ready? You ready? <gasps> Noah! There's a what, spider Chris? in the studio, and it's crawling out right now. There you go. See? Ooh, uh, now they'll know what I was talking about when it all comes together in the end. Ooh.